Welcome to Fine Laws Don't Judge Me, the show about the law in real life. I'm Laura Tenney, and I'm joined by Joe Fawbush. Hey, everybody. Hi, Joe, and Beta Himetha. What's up, guys? Hello, welcome back. Nice to be back, uh, especially in time for this episode that's not a news hook at all, right? We had <laughs> exactly, a- yeah. Yep, for no reason at all. This week, we're talking about pleading the fifth. And and as far as why we're talking about it, th- talking about it this week, I plead the fifth. <laughs> we just thought it would be fun to talk Nothing's about the going fifth on. this week. Nothing yep. going on in the news. If you Google it, you won't find anything. You know, we're, we're just trying our best to be boring. Yep. So, so what does it mean to plead the fifth? I think a lot of people have probably heard of this. It stems from the Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination. So a, a small portion of the Fifth Amendment where it says that no person can be compelled in a criminal case to be a witness against himself. And it's also known as the right to remain silent, which you've probably heard us talk about when we've talked about Miranda rights and things like that. And in general, it just means that if someone is providing testimony under oath, for the most part, you're obligated to answer those questions truthfully. However, when you're being questioned, you have the right to refuse to answer questions where your answer could subject you to criminal liability. Yeah, and that provision that you talked about, that no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, like that has the word criminal in it, right? So by constitutional interpretation, the courts, the Supreme Court, read that to mean that it's excluding civil cases, right? Only applying to criminal cases. But mm-hmm. the Fifth Amendment is broader than just that provision, right? So right. There, the Fifth Amendment in general does parts of it apply to civil cases as well as criminal cases. Um, it creates a number of other rights. And so the rights that the Fifth Amendment creates that apply only to criminal cases, apart from the one that we just talked about, the right not to testify, are the right to a grand jury before your trial. And notably, the protection from double jeopardy, which you guys will know, like you can't be tried twice for the same crime by the same body of government. And also a very good movie starring Ashley Judd. <laughs> really? I've not seen <laughs> Yeah. We'll put it on my watch list. Sorry, my, so, my taste in movies is a lot older than I am, so... <laughs> what holds up, holds up. Yeah, that was, a, that was a late 90s gem, wasn't oh, it? Or Thank was you, it? Yeah. yeah. But have you rewatched it recently? Because, like, some no, just I don't hold. No, I haven't. Exactly. That's true. Anyway, so, so, so double jeopardy, y'all. Um, that's all for criminal folks, but... The Fifth Amendment gives all defendants, including civil, the right to things like due process of law, which is pretty vague and broad and can be interpreted in a lot of ways. It also requires the government to compensate citizens when it takes their private property for public use, which would be in the context of civil trials as well. Um, And another distinction I just wanted to make is like the provision that we're going to focus on today, which is that little narrow provision of the Fifth Amendment, that none of these, it's, you know, the right to remain silent or the right not to testify at trial, that comes out in sort of two different cases. When people say, like, plead the Fifth, I think they're usually referring to, like, when they're at trial and they don't Mm -hmm. want to take the stand. (laughs) Like, um, your favorite, your favorite, (laughs) Dave Chappelle, Laura. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's one of my favorite pieces of comedy of all time. It's just Dave Chappelle, like, pulling out a microphone in, I think it's a, it's supposed to be a congressional hearing. (laughs) And say, I plead the Fifth. 
Like it just does a little. So- oh my gosh, it's it's gonna take everything I have to not just sing my way through this episode. It's okay. You you do what comes to you. I'm trying to think about like if he if he actually was in his right to do all the plead the fifths that he did in that video in that video in that sketch. Um, I think he did it right. I think so. From what I remember, they're they're asking him about um, dealing crack cocaine. Yeah. So I think answering those questions could expose him to criminal liability. So yeah, I think, Although, I think within said- his Fifth Amendment rights there. <laughs> I did not think I was going to be analyzing the legality of a Dave Chappelle sketch today. Right. That's where we're at. I like it. So that's what people, I think, mean when they when they say plead the Fifth. And then there's like invoking the Fifth, which is goes to a Miranda rights, which apply wait before even trial. So like if you're in police custody, you can invoke the fifth, you can invoke your Miranda rights and which you are supposed to be read by the way. Um, and once mm-hmm. like you are read them, then you don't, again, you have the right to remain silent. You don't have to talk to the police in custody. And we did an episode about Miranda rights like a month ago it called like the constitution Supreme court roundup part one. Um, so we talked about that more in that one, if you guys are interested, but yeah, where does this right come from like have we always had it around well you know i know how much you love fake legal latin so i did i did find some for Thank you, for you. This episode. <laughs> yeah just for you um so it apparently finds its roots in the latin phrase and there's no way i'm going to say this right um nemo tenitor sapsum accusare oh man that sure. hurts. okay <laughs> and that apparently that roughly translates to no man no man is bound to accuse himself and it's something that is an important part of the accusatorial or sometimes we'll call it adversarial system of justice mm-hmm. that we have in the United States, which is based on the system that was developed in England way, way back in the day. Back in England, it was Henry II who expanded this this type of law enforcement that was mm-hmm. sort of a reaction to or a movement away from the inquisitorial system where if someone was under oath, officials could compel them to, to divulge everything they know, you know, usually through the lovely torture and coercion tactic. <laughs> oh, the, the, the great criminal justice system back in exactly, the day. Exactly, yeah. of, of you know, the, the Spanish Inquisition and things mm-hmm. like that. And so to, to get away from that kind of thing, they set up this system where a person accused of a crime was either convicted or acquitted through examination by their community and later by mm-hmm. the state through a grand jury. Back in the day, what like before the Bill of Rights was introduced, which of course has the Fifth Amendment in it, in that climate, like criminal procedure in in our country in America was super different. So at that time, criminal defendants not only like did they not have the right to remain silent, like they couldn't testify if they wanted to. They couldn't. They weren't allowed to testify at trial at all. So th- there was supposed to be like a strong presumption of innocence at play in criminal trials back then too just like now and the government like today was supposed to work to establish guilt but but then it was the government was supposed to establish this guilt completely independently of getting the defendant involved at all so the upshot of this though was that since defendants just weren't allowed to testify at all they didn't have a choice there was no singling out of those defendants that chose not to speak 
And therefore, there was presumably no negative inference attached to that choice because it just wasn't a choice. So in theory, the jury would be less likely to infer guilt from the defendant's failure to speak out in his own defense. None of that was essentially a problem until it was introduced at the state level at first that some defendants wanted to testify in their own defense. So when that became an issue, when government bodies started allowing defendants to testify, well, then it became an issue of, okay, well, this choice makes the jury might infer something that they shouldn't be from this choice. That's a really good point about what inferences we can draw, because it is Mm -hmm. kind of nice to just say, you don't have the option of testifying. Mm -hmm. We're going to figure this all out. Obviously, if you're guilty, you're going to lie about it. If you're innocent, we're not going to make you be a witness in your own criminal trial. But yeah, you can also see if putting in yourself in that spot. Hey, I have yeah, an alibi, guys. I yeah, I can tell. I can explain what's going on here. Come right. on, you know. And so mm-hmm. yeah, that that choice is definitely a balancing act. That um, choice is is key because we were coming from two different historical extremes. Laura mentioned mm-hmm. in Henry the seconds time we didn't have the choice because we had criminal defendants had to talk and then Mm -hmm. in our country in like the 18th 19th century you couldn't so now we're at Mm -hmm. a point where we have the choice but the fifth amendment is supposed to protect all of the negative associations that could come with having that choice especially Mm -hmm. if you don't have a lawyer yeah, well, and it leads to an interesting question where, like, is is it a bad idea to plead the mm-hmm. fifth? Mm-hmm. Someone who recently pled the fifth in a big way before he pled the fifth himself, <laughs> <laughs> who I will not name, kind of famously said, if you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? It's, yeah, it, it's interesting because in different types of cases, there's different, like Joe said, different inferences that people can draw. Like in a criminal mm-hmm. case, if you plead the fifth or choose not to testify, prosecutors can't point to that and say, hey, jury, this person's not talking. They're probably guilty. They literally cannot say that to the jury. Right. But it is different in in civil cases, and there's different instructions that the judges can um, issue regarding that. And that's a great distinction. In a criminal case, as we said, this the, this provision of the Fifth Amendment only applies to criminal cases by constitutional interpretation. And so how that's played out practically is that the Supreme Court, through jurisprudence, through their case law, has established that there has to be a way to safeguard this right not to incriminate oneself through criminal procedure, right? Through the procedure that Mm -hmm. happens at a court, right? So how have we arrived at this safeguard? Well, the the Supreme Court has established that defendants need to have the right to request and receive a jury instruction that the jury cannot make inferences as to the defendant's guilt from the decision not to testify right so it's not enough to just say okay defendants like you don't have to take the stand they in order to protect that the jury won't make the negative inference that we were afraid of from his right not to testify from his decision not to testify the jury needs to be specifically instructed that they cannot mm-hmm. make this inference so yeah that can vary like many cases many like courts will use like pattern jury instructions which um can go something like i'm just going to quote one model jury instruction um that i've come across uh part of it would be the burden of proof is on the government until the very end of the case. The defendant has no burden to prove his or her innocence or to present any evidence or to testify. 
Since the defendant has the right to remain silent, the law prohibits you from arriving at your verdict by considering that the defendant may not have testified. And those are the instructions that the judge is supposed to give to the jury. And the theory mm-hmm. is that when they're told this, they will <laughs> use it, right? right? Right, But a lot of people will argue that, A, like, telling a jury to disregard something is like trying to tell someone not to think of an elephant, right? They're not going to do it. <laughs> <Right>. and, <laughs> and pointing out that they haven't chosen to testify might even mm-hmm. highlight the fact that they haven't chosen to testify and make the jury more skeptical than they would have been. I don't know. It's definitely not a perfect system, but it's kind of the best that the Supreme Court could come up with. So defendants mm-hmm. have the right to request this instruction. They don't. Yeah. They don't have to get it if they don't want it, though. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you have civil cases where a jury is free to assume as much as they want that if you refuse to answer a question, it's because you did something wrong. Yeah, and there's a, there's other case law, Baxter v. Palmagiano, that has established that the Fifth Amendment does not forbid adverse inferences against parties to civil actions when they refuse to testify. Federally, there is gray area, maybe in a civil case. An adverse inference may be drawn when there's independent evidence of like fact that they're trying to answer, like whatever the fact that they refuse to answer about. If there's independent evidence of that, then an adverse inference can be drawn. But if there's no independent evidence of that, they're still not supposed to draw any inferences. So for example, like if you're, if you have a complaint then, and, and, and the civil party is silent in response to a complaint alone, there's not supposed to be an adverse inference drawn from that. But that's federally and states kind of vary. They can kind of do their own thing civilly. I want to do a quick practical example here because I think that okay. might help. Because we've, we've <laughs> Yeah, been, that's yeah. very vague. <laughs> no, and it's very accurate and we need that background. But let's say that person A is driving home from happy hour and they get into an accident through no fault of their own. They're sitting at a red light and they get rear-ended. They want to sue the driver who rear-ended them because they were injured. So they go to a personal mm-hmm. injury attorney and they say, I want to get money that I'm owed to pay for my medical bills. So what we're talking about here is in a civil trial, if the opposing side, the defendant's attorneys say, well, were you drinking? Where did you come mm-hmm. from? Had, you know, If you say, I don't want to answer that because it may incriminate me, Mm-hmm. The jury in the civil trial is free to presume that you had been drinking maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. enough that you would get into legal trouble. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you were just stopped by police at a red light and charged with a crime and they said, how many beers did you have? Uh, you can say, I'm not going to answer that because I refuse to to answer on the grounds that it may incriminate me. So that's kind of a practical mm-hmm. consequence of these these laws that we're talking about now that's that's a good distinction and i have a follow-up question so in a criminal trial of course like if you were in the charged by the police you don't have to answer the police's questions and then when you're at trial for your dui or whatever you don't have to go take the stand as a defendant but if you're sued by that other driver do you have to go take the stand at all can you just remain in your seat if you're called as a witness in a civil trial, you have mm-hmm. to take the stand, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So so the the upshot is that defendants can be called as witnesses in a civil trial and cannot decline. 
But you're still able, like we've seen in, or I guess, as I said up top, as we have not seen in the news lately, someone can plead the fifth <laughs> in a civil deposition. And that happens mm-hmm. fairly often where someone, and, and that's something important that I want to make sure we talk about, dear listeners. We want to make sure that you know <laughs> when <laughs> when you're able to, mm-hmm. to use this. Yeah. And like we've talked about, pleading the fifth often happens during pretrial proceedings and depositions mm-hmm. because realistically at trial, the person asking the questions already knows whether or not you're going to answer a given question and they're not going to bother asking you something that you're not going to answer. Mm-hmm. So it applies in any proceeding where a person is legally required to testify and you can plead the fifth at any time where your answer might be used against you in either that current proceeding where you're being mm-hmm. questioned or a future criminal proceeding or where it could be used to uncover other evidence against you. So, you know, just hypothetically, <laughs> this could include testimony before Congress or yeah. a civil or, investigation into a yeah. former high-profile public official's business dealings. Um, you know, just simple stuff. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> Should you find yourselves in that situation? Should you find yourself in that um, situation? But also before a grand jury, you don't have to speak before a grand jury, which, you know, would lead to further either evidence or further investigation into, like, should you guys have a trial or not? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, basically all throughout the moment that you're, like, sort of in police custody and all throughout to the end of your trial, you have the right to not testify if it's it's a criminal proceeding, right? Um, I do want to mention that there are other like pleas out there apart from just a plea of guilty. You guys might mm-hmm. have heard of pleading no contest or no low contendere. No mm-hmm. low contendere? Man, we're fake, fake Latin, Latin today. Yep. Ugh. It just means <laughs> I do not wish to contend. And it's more commonly known as pleading no contest or pleading no low. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a plea that, you know, we got the guilty plea where you're just like, okay, I'm guilty. But people who plead NOLO are trying to say, I'm not pleading guilty, but I'm effectively, I don't know. It, it feels like in, in a way that they're just like putting their hands up and saying like, I'm not pleading guilty, but. Yeah, it's sort of an acknowledgement where you say like, well, I, I understand that the state has evidence mm-hmm. that makes me look guilty or something like that where they, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, just I don't want to say giving up. <laughs> what about yeah, I don't want to say giving up either. It's, it's so like, close. It's like, well, it, it's, ah, uh, Joe, help me out. <laughs> it's, it's sort of similar to if, uh, like a company is being sued for discrimination or something yeah, and they reach yeah. a settlement. A lot of times mm-hmm. they'll say, okay, look, here's, here's your money, but I'm not yeah. admitting that I did right. anything wrong. And, and yeah. that's kind of the same thing mm-hmm. that you're, you're saying there. You're saying, look, okay, yeah. you win, but I still maintain and, that. Right. And there can be mm-hmm. like the, the criminal equivalent of settlement would be a plea deal, right? There can be plea deals when you plead guilty. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, why would you plead no low if you can get a plea deal pleading guilty? Well, I guess the theory is that maybe the judge will give you a lighter sentence. Does that actually happen? Maybe not. It, it, mm-hmm. Is it actually effective? Maybe not. I think for a lot of defendants, it's more of a point of um, like like pride or like dignity. It's maybe more dignified mm-hmm. than pleading guilty. But all that is to say that we, that we don't want to confuse those kind of pleas from pleading the fifth because pleading mm-hmm. the fifth implicates what the jury will 
whether or not you will be found guilty by the jury, right? What they can take into account in their jury deliberation, whereas pleading either guilty or no low, no contest, doesn't implicate what the jury will find. Rather, it implicates mm-hmm. like you will you will be found guilty, but it will implicate your sentence by the judge. Mm-hmm. So the the consequences of of pleading no low, pleading guilty. Um, only apply to really like your sentencing phase because you've pled, you've pled, you're guilty, right? There's no mm-hmm. room for the jury to then like take mercy on you if you've pled, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, a person that you bring up a good point that a person can't plead the fifth to an entire charge. Pleading the fifth is where someone asks you a question and like <laughs> Dave Chappelle did, they ask you a question and you say, I plead the fifth. And to every that's question. it. Like yep. to every, you can do it to every question if you want to, if you want to mm-hmm. be really obnoxious about it. But it, yeah, you can't, it's, it doesn't apply to an entire charge. Right. And, and you don't have to blanket plead the fifth, right? You can, right. you can answer maybe a question that you think is going to be in your favor, but then, and then decline to answer subsequent questions, right? Uh, well, one thing I wanted to bring up is that there are definitely situations where like an innocent person may want to plead the fifth because... Mm-hmm. Answering the question could end up being worse. I know. Yeah. Joe recently wrote an excellent blog article about this, um, or blog post about this on finelaw.com. So you can check that out <laughs> for more information. But you had some really good examples in there, Joe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Um, I did also want to mention, going back to our last point, there are mm-hmm. boundaries and limits for mm-hmm. pleading the fifth. You know, if somebody comes up and asks you, like, did you enjoy your mm-hmm. coffee this morning, <laughs> even if it's at a deposition, you know, I mean, you can say mm-hmm. I plead the fifth, but you could theoretically, I mean, usually judges mm-hmm. are pretty lenient about it because it's really hard to question somebody who says like, no, this is, I'm doing this to protect mm-hmm. myself. So it's it's pretty easy to get away with it, but technically it is only supposed to be invoked if it does actually involve incriminating information mm-hmm. you're not just a, it's it's not a i don't feel right. like answering uh, yeah response for sure and and to to another point to add to that this is uh probably going to come up more when you have an attorney but let's say a, a lot of times when you have an, a criminal attorney your attorney will advise you not to take the stand at all um, or mm-hmm. if you do take the stand, they'll, they'll work with you very, very much to coach you to make sure that you don't say anything or, or are prepared for the worst possible scenario on cross-examination. Because when you do work with your attorney to take the stand in your coach, say, then your attorney is going to be direct examining you in presumably your favor, right? Let's say you have an alibi and you want to get that across and you don't have another witness. So your attorney will be direct examine you maybe you've worked on it but anything that they ask you on direct exam that you don't take the don't take the fifth on and you answer in direct examination the opposing counsel the government will have the right essentially to cross-examine you on those questions so you you can't get away with answering your own attorney's questions to something and then not answering the government's cross-examination yeah that's a good point Mm -hmm. So you, you open yourself up to some yeah. potential like government t- attorney tactics. So that's a really important consideration when de- deciding which questions you do want to answer with your own attorney. You're going to be inquired further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a friendly protection for criminal defendants, but it's not a it's not yeah, a get out right. of jail free card. Yeah, and it's not a, yeah. But yeah, all right. So 
Laura, to answer your question, let's let's pretend <laughs> that I am a pretty well-off individual based on some of the work that I do with decorating <laughs> and homemaking and providing advice to people who want to have a nice spread at Thanksgiving, mm-hmm, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So you can find me on, on daytime. This is Joe's real calling. Yeah. This is his moonlighting. Yep. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So let's say that I happen to have a friend who runs a biopharmaceutical <laughs> company, and I own a lot of stock in that biopharmaceutical mm-hmm. company. And they've got a fancy new drug that's going to do wonderful things for cancer patients. And it's going through approval with the Food and Drug Administration. I'm waiting to hear the good news when my friend calls me and says, you know, you should probably think about selling that stock like, you know, today. <laughs> I say, oh, say no more. I trust you. I believe you. I'm selling them immediately. I'm calling my broker right now. Well, it turns out that the drug that they were waiting on was rejected by the FDA. The head of the company knew this, and so he told all of his friends and family that Mm -hmm. they should sell. So you do that, and you save, or I save, excuse me, this is me. (laughs) I save something like tens of thousands Mm -hmm. of dollars on this. And a few months later, the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Federal Bureau of Investigation stopped by my house to ask politely (laughs) about the really lucky timing (laughs) Mm -hmm. that I had. And I get nervous and I say, oh, what are you talking about? I I had that set up months ago. It had nothing to do with the whole FDA Mm -hmm. thing. Well, it turns out then my friend caves, everything comes to light and it's shown that I did, in fact, sell based on mm-hmm. this advice. Well, I would probably have been better off pleading mm-hmm. the fifth. Because even though I probably had a good idea of what this conversation was about, based on my conversations with the SEC and the, and the FBI, by throwing or trying to throw federal authorities mm-hmm. off the trail, I've committed obstruction of justice. I've lied to federal yep. authorities. These are serious mm-hmm. crimes. If I just said I pled the fifth, well, sure, maybe they would have been suspicious. But on the other hand, they were already pretty mm-hmm. suspicious. So this, of course, is what happened to Martha Stewart. She did get charged and convicted, but only on the obstruction of justice right. charges. Uh, she was not actually convicted of insider mm-hmm. trading. I mean, at the time, it was reported as an insider really trading was. thing. Yeah. Which, which I mean, it, that well, that was the underlying issue, but she was never actually charged with that. And so if she had just pled the fifth, well, maybe they would have investigated, but on the other hand, maybe she would have been fine. Maybe she mm-hmm. never would have gone to jail. So that's one of those instances where you say, look, if, if I plead the fifth in that situation, like they're here for a reason. I know why they're here. Mm-hmm. I suspect that I might be in trouble. I'm tempted to lie. But a lot of times just pleading the fifth is the right call in mm-hmm. that situation and getting the advice of your criminal defense attorney and talking about it first because she might have been able to avoid it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't go back and, and say what for sure would have happened, but right. I suspect that I suspect that a lot of criminal defense attorneys out there would have said, nope, just mm-hmm. just plead the fifth, you're fine, <laughs> and then we'll deal with it. Ironically, yeah. a certain person who pled the fifth recently was talking about pardoning Martha Stewart on that a couple years uh-huh. ago. Do you guys remember that? When it, 
yeah. you had the power to pardon. Uh-huh. No longer. Um, yeah, well, I think because Mar- Martha Stewart was on yep. The Apprentice, actually. Mm-hmm. So I think they had a connection that way. I don't think he ever did, though, right? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so that's that's a great point. Like, you can... It can be in your interest, especially if you're if you're if you're if you're bad at talking, if you're bad under pressure, right? But also mm-hmm. so that you don't risk like lying, right? Like you can mm-hmm. be c- c- in convicted of perjury. Some of the yeah, crimes yeah. that you can be convicted of for obstructing justice, perjury, etc., can be worse sentences mm-hmm. than the underlying crime. It, it's a cliche to say that the cover up is worse than the crime. But, right. In Martha Stewart's case, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like we talked about on a previous episode. Talking to the feds is usually not a good idea if you do not have an attorney <laughs> right. present. So, <laughs> yeah. Or taking the stand, even if you do have an attorney present. You know, we have talked a lot about how this plays out in criminal trials. This does, and criminal investigations, this does apply to congressional testimony. That's re- frankly where pleading the fifth became so famous because. Obviously, if there's a congressional testimony on something, sometimes it could be broadcast on live TV. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it involves issues of national importance. And so a lot of people are interested and watch. And if you get up before Congress and you say, I plead the fifth, well, isn't that a public relations disaster? Mm-hmm. Won't everybody immediately assume that you're guilty of something? Right. That's probably true. But it's also true that lying to Congress knowingly is perjury as well and also a serious crime. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes uh, pleading the fifth is the least bad option facing <laughs> yeah. in that situation. Like, for example, you Mark know? McGuire, right? Mm-hmm. It's pu- publi- bad publicity versus what's worse than bad publicity, right? Like criminal indictment. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, back in 2005, and everybody had long suspected that Mark McGuire, like many baseball players of that time, had taken steroids, and he had denied it a bunch of times publicly, but he had never denied it before Congress when he had sworn an oath to tell the truth. This was just a, a disaster for him in terms of his fans because everybody was like, well, just answer the question. Mm-hmm. Everybody now knows that you've taken steroids. Right. Mm-hmm. You're refusing to answer, like, clearly. And and it was true, right? I mean, people were right to assume that because he had been taking steroids and he admitted it mm-hmm. several years later. Uh, but the issue was that if he went down that rabbit hole, there could have been other things mm-hmm. dug up immediately and there could have been potentially criminal charges involved. That's not entirely clear. Or if he had just Um, denied it it officially under questioning at at trial, then he would have been like, you know, liable for perjury when it came up later, as it has now come up that he was in in fact taking steroids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's, do I want to commit Mm -hmm. perjury? Do I want to reveal information that could land me in deeper trouble? Or do I plead the fifth and look a little bit like a jackass, yeah. but go home to my family? You know, and yeah. I mean, it's the, clearly you're going to plead the in, fifth. In his in his situation, he was never convicted of a crime, and like eventually got over his bad press and eventually moved on in his career. Right? I, I think he lost his chance at the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. but uh, all things considered, he's doing he's all doing right okay. for himself, most likely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Find Laws, Don't Judge Me. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the show notes for related content. 
And if you'd like to contact us, send us an email at findlawpodcasts at thompsonwriters.com. <laughs>